Hi everyone, this is James Bamfield and this is my podcast series, Spirituality for Today. And I have a very special guest today and his name is Dr. Mark Gaffney. We are connected far across the ocean, across the pond to Miami, but I believe. Um, Mark is a pretty extraordinary guy. He is a rabbi, an ordained rabbi. He is a public intellectual. He is the author of many books. He's a spiritual teacher. And in spite of all that, he's also really fun to be around. <laughs> and it's an enormous pleasure for me. And I count him also as a friend. He's been a huge inspiration for me uh, since I met him about five or six years ago. And I feel very privileged and honored that he is joining me for this podcast. So hi, Mark. Hey, James, it's great to be with you, brother. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Mark, I'm going to drive. I'm going to dive straight in. Okay. Um, as I told you, what I'm most interested in in this podcast series is how people actually experience their spirituality, their relationship to God, whatever you want to the divine, whatever you want to call it on a sort of personal day-to-day -day basis in terms of, you know, how does that feel? What does that look like? You know, whether that's in terms of practices. Um, and that's the direction that I want to go in. But may, maybe you could start with, I mean, I'm just so curious in your, you know, your spiritual upbringing. I mean, when did it, when did it sort of, when did you first feel God, goddess, whatever we got? When did you feel them knocking on your door? I mean, tomorrow. <laughs> you, know, um, you know, I mean, it's, it's funny, right? Because I, I think that any, any person who's real in spirit, brother, experiences a movement, right, between absence and presence, right? And so there are moments where you feel spirit and God so far away. And there are moments and what we call enlightenment is when that second kind of moment mm -hmm. is, you know, the center of gravity where you feel so close. Right. And for me, and just to be very immediate and real in terms of my own experience, which I think is the conversation that you're interested in having here. Exactly. For me, when I am walking through Delhi, there's an experience I'm bringing to mind right now. I was walking through Delhi. I had landed, you know, in the airport and we were going to drive up to Dharamsala, right, to see the Dalai Lama. Mm -hmm. And we had had this, this funny, you know, encounter and he had taken a piece of clothing of mine and told me that he would only give it back to me if I came to Dharamsala to get it. And so I came to 
to India and we were, we were actually filming a, a television special, you know, together. And the drive up there, by the way, James, was a place where you had to pray to God every second. It was the most scary thing that ever happened to me in my entire life. But as we're walking through Delhi and it's nighttime and you see like six people sleeping on a wheelbarrow, mm -hmm. right? You know, the incredible density and suffering. You're just, right? And you just understand that each one of these people matters and that there's a larger frame than this moment in life because it's impossible to actually hold the dignity and truth of our love and our compassion and our sense of, you know, goodness and truth and beauty, you know, in the face of this kind of abject suffering. So what you actually know immediately in your body, I'm saying not in your mind, in your body, you realize, oh, there's a bigger frame than this. You actually can, right? You actually kind of, you drop in and you realize, oh, right? The notion of continuity of consciousness, besides all the evidence for it, let's put all that aside because that's not our conversation here, but you actually have an, I had an embodied feeling of this much larger picture and vision of spirit dancing, mm. you know, then, then could be held by that minute. So for me, paradoxically, experiences of outrageous pain, mm. both for moments can block me. I'm like, Right. You just you can't you, you look at the wheelbarrow and you look at the tragedy and you're like, where's God? But then when you actually feel into it in your body, you realize that without God, there's nothing wrong with this. That's the second piece of it. Right. The second piece of it, not only do you you move into this larger expanse, but you realize, oh, without a realization in my body, without feeling the intimate universe, without feeling the intrinsic power of God, goodness, truth, and beauty, there's nothing wrong with the suffering. And so then you just feel this massive protest going through you, right? And that protest is God, right? It's a living, right? You know, it's a living and in my lineage, which you referred to, right? Actually the Abraham figure, my original lineage today, I practice in Buddhism and Kashmir Shaivism and you know, all sorts of places, but my original grounding lineage, right, in, in Hebrew texts, Abraham's experience, his radical experience of, of the divine is when he sees suffering. So it's a different than a Buddha story. It's very different than an under a Bodhi tree Buddha story, right? Abraham sees suffering, right? God says, I'm going to wipe out these people, right? You know, because they're, they're, they're evil. And Abraham sees, wow, there's going to be suffering here, even though God just said they're evil. And Abraham says, but there's going to be unjust suffering. That can't be. And then Abraham has this, this epiphany, this God epiphany. And he says, will the judge of the entire world not do justice? Mm. Right? And in that challenge of the divine, he meets God. And that's such, look how different that is than a Buddha moment, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's, like, it's like a completely different and and those moments formed me. You know, Mark, what, what it reminds me, I mean, that's really beautiful. I mean, and to be honest, it reminds me a little bit of, of Christ on the cross. Yeah, right. I mean, talk about intense suffering. And for, uh, for those who are on audio, I just gave I guess gave James my my Jesus, you know, <laughs> 
Was it good? <laughs> it was brilliant. It was brilliant. Okay. But you, you, you looked <laughs> like you weren't suffering enough. But um, but it's funny because it reminds me of, there's a story of, you know, Ram Dass, Richard Alpert. Sure. You we know, when he we first went. Well. Yeah. Well, when he, I like, I, I, I went to hear him once or twice as well. But he tells the story. Here's, here's the really other side, if you like, the Eastern side of that thing. So when his gurus first took him for a walk through Calcutta, he was, it was the first time he'd really seen it. And he was absolutely shocked. The poverty, the, the grime, the what you've just described. And he, and, and when they got to the end, he sort of addressed it. He was sort of stuttering to his teacher. He said, what about, what about, because he'd just seen the teacher sort of sailing through it. And he said, well, well what about this? What about this? Look at it. And, he, and the teacher said, what do you mean? Everything's perfect. Now, of course, the, my, my guess is he, he was saying that very much in that context to Ram Das reason. But there is, there's also some truth in that, right? Well, so let's 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 play with it for a second, right? Right. Just and let's stay very close. I want I want to follow your your yes. thought. You know, when you you left me a message on WhatsApp yesterday saying that we want to stay kind of yeah, we got to stay. Yeah. I want I want to I want to I want to follow you know and honor you you know in in this space and do that. So let me just say a couple of things, right? And let me just make it very intimate and personal. So Ramdas and I at a certain point were good friends. Yeah. You know, we had a, we had a, a lovely friendship and we didn't we never stopped being it just, you know, we were in different places of the world. And I was with him in. It was 2005 and we were in Maui. Right? And. It different from Calcutta. Yeah, right. Different from. Right. 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 We were in Maui right? in this beautiful house. Co correct. Um, but, you know, and he had had a stroke. And, you know, I, him and I were teaching and KD, Krishnadas was chanting and it was about 40 people there and we were together for 10 days and it was really a beautiful, you know, moment. And he said to me, you know, he said, people have come to me my whole life for illumination, right? They, they, they think I'm illuminated. So they come to me for illumination. He said, I've never actually experienced God directly or, or heard God or gotten a direct transmission when I wasn't on psychedelics, right? When an amazing statement, right? So that the place he found, and it was, it was very honest. It was in his bedroom and it was, you know, it was nighttime. We were sitting on his bed and, you know, and talking. And he, he at that time actually thought he didn't have long till he actually lived for 15 more years, right? You know, you know, and got actually better, but, you know, for him, the experience of God was that expanded, you know, it's all perfect experience mm -hmm. that you have on psychedelics, right? In other words, one of the experiences of psychedelics is it's all perfect. That's actually that's actually your experience. The psychedelics opens up that dimension. Well, of, and you can have that in meditation as well. And, and you can have it, of course, in meditation, right? That's right. That's, yeah. right. That's right. Meditation opens that up. Psychedelics opens it up. And of course, you know, Zushyav Anipal who was the third generation after the Balshemtov, who was, you know, terribly, you know, you know, horrifically poor and the matchers would come and, you know, the same kind of story they tell about him. And, you know, how can you be in this? And he said, what? It's all the sweetness of God. So, so there's that moment is real, mm. but it's a partial moment. Absolutely. 
right? Yeah. And, and, and it's got to live with, you know, the, the radical experience of God that you have, you know, in intimacy and its absence. And I'd say for me, right, the two places I feel God are in the absence of intimacy. So when intimacy is not there, I feel the violation of it. But, it, but, but, but it's a kind of presence and absence, right? And whether that's, you know, suffering abjectly in the world or intimacy between me and another person, mm-hmm. right? In other words, so, so let's say, you know, you and I haven't talked for three months, right? Or, or we're in the middle of some interesting kind of, you know, dialectic or dance, right? So the, the urgency and importance of us coming to a higher union is God. Right. In other words, that's the God force alive and pulsing and breathing and saying that 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 it's the force that moves to wholeness. Right. And it, it's it's and that force and that that joy of moving towards intimacy as this movement in cosmos is is this incredibly alive place of the divine. But don't you, but presumably in order to feel the absence of God, you really have got to have felt God in the first place. Right, right. So, yeah, so so you, you, you know, I, I was blessed in, in many ways, but, but one of them was, you know, a, a strong, intuitive kind of, you know, love affair with the divine from an early age. Mm. You know, and, and I'd say the places that I most, you know, fell in it were at different stages of life, but I'll just give you one, you know, um, when I was like 13, you know, 14, you know, I, I used to go and just walk for hours and just sing to God, you know, and it, it was some of the most, you know, I, I miss it. You know, I, you know, I, I miss just being able just to sing to God for hours and with an immediate, you know, palpable sense, right, of God's presence. But, but, but by God's presence, right, we don't mean, you know, the caricature dude in the sky. We mean... You know, but we, we mean not just though, we mean actually the the personal sense, right? It's not impersonal, another difference than meditation, right? It's the personal beyond the impersonal, right? It's this mm. personal sense that I'm being held, mm. right? Right, and that every place I fall, I fall into her hands mm. and that she cares about every detail of my life, right? That That I matter to her, right? And, and you can actually feel you mattering to her, to she, to God, to goddess, right? And that sense of, of being held, right? And never, and I've never felt alone in that sense. I felt loneliness in the human sense, of course, but I've never felt kind of an ultimate sense of aloneness, right? Because she's always there in some sense and she holds my hand. Right, and she she holds me. I mean, I, that's, I, I, that's I, beautiful. Beautiful. I, I, I just with your permission, 
I'll just give you one just because I, I want to just meet you here just and I appreciate you asking the question that way because it it I was in 2006 I was in Salt Lake and I had um it had been a rough year right so I was in Salt Lake and you know living there you know after after going through an intense personal tragedy and it was a moment in which I didn't know how it was going to turn out. You know, where you're kind of before the diagnosis, you're before the public culture, you're, you know, I didn't know how things were going to go. And it was, I mean, my heart was ripped apart. And I would sit every night, you know, by myself in the apartment, and I would read the book of Psalms. Mm. Right. And with just tears just streaming down my face. And you're reading about David you know, Solomon's father in the, in ancient Israel and David's not meditating and he's not saying it's all perfect, right? It's not Nim Karoli Baba, you know, in Calcutta talking to Ramdas, right? Mm -hmm. David is saying, what are you doing? Like, wait, wait, I'm getting ripped apart. I'm getting killed. I'm going to help me, right? What's right? And it's right. Why are you forsaking me? Where are you? Right? So David's screaming to God and in every possible way, but it was so beautiful and so intimate. In other words, it was so up in God's face mm. and so personal. And, and literally I felt, and I don't feel like it was hyperbole. I don't feel like it was a metaphorical experience. I felt like the only person who could possibly understand what I'm experiencing are David and God, right? Mm -hmm. and, and and literally, and I just, just I would, I just cried through. I mean, I, and I read the first, I still have the book and I, it, it was, and that sense of, of just always being with her and she's always with me and she always kind of cares insanely, right? It's kind of like, you know, when you're on a date, when you're, I remember when I went to go and you're like 14 or 15 and I was in yeshiva, right? Which is, you know, seminary school. So there was no physical contact that limited what could happen on a date. So you had a lot more time, right? You had a lot more available time. And I remember walking with Betty Ehrenkrantz by the Hudson River. And I would say it was my first deep experience of human intimacy. We would just share everything with each other. We would just talk. And so that's, that's my experience of God, right? It's this intimate conversation mm. like that. Well, no, that's very, very lovely. I mean, if it's similar, I mean, the other day I had a very, actually I've had very, a lot of strong um, kind of true self type realizations, um, experiences, although the word experience doesn't, doesn't quite cover it recently. I mean, just out of the blue, really. But one of the things I noticed was that it actually, any idea of sort of detachment was just completely wrong. Right. I felt way more in life. I felt I could feel everything. Right. So I, I remember when I was walking along the beach and just, I know it's a cliche, but the sunset, just, it just made me cry and cry. Right. I mean, there's a reason cliches became cliches, right? Yeah, exactly. It was like everything touched me. Right. Everything. 
Right. You know, it's like that in intimacy with, and that definition of enlightenment is intimacy with all things. And also in that same set, same time span, I happened to watch a war movie, a recent one, actually about a battle at the end of the Second World War that nobody knows about or cares about that happened in Belgium mm. when the Germans were retreating around the Schelde, which is the big river going to the Antwerp Harbour. And at, after, in the beginning, I thought, oh, no, you know, I'm in this, this lovely space and I don't, and this is really harsh. But something told me, I said, no, 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 keep watching. And I just cried my heart out. Mm. I mean, these people, what they went through. Right. And at, the, at that age, people in the Dutch resistance at 17 years old, putting their life on the, the line. I just could not stop crying. And, and I was glad right. that I cried. That 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 felt. I, I think that's what you're pointing to. That felt just as um, spiritual, if you like, as anything that had been coming out of my sort of true self experiences. Right, right. And you know, that seems to be a little bit what you're what you're pointing to. No, beautiful, right? Beautiful, beautiful, right? The the beautiful the you know, the, the statement about enlightenment that, you know, I, I, I share so much that you just alluded to, which is really important, right? And it's part of our, part of a larger conversation on enlightenment and intimacy, but that enlightenment is intimacy with all things. Mm. So, so what, what does it mean to be intimate? Intimate means that I feel you and you feel me, right? And we can feel each other and we feel the aliveness of it. And when I feel the aliveness of it and I can step out of my own contracted ego self, I'm just, my heart's blown open. And when my heart's blown open, the only thing that can hold it is tears, right? You know, because the, the language of tears, right, is, is somewhere between silence and speech, mm -hmm. right? And it, you know, so, so tears, and when I watch, when I watch, you know, when my heart's open and I watch, let's say a movie, which means that I'm, I'm stepping into someone else's story and, and movies are a spiritual practice, right? So, so I, I, you know, you know, you know, KK laughs, you know, whenever I watch a movie, you know, I, I pretty much cry through movies, right? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm the same. Saying, I'm the same. I did probably cry, but, it, and it's such a, it's such a, an honor because when we're crying in a movie, what it means is that we, you're actually able to feel the fullness of that story, sometimes in ways that we can't feel the fullness of our story, right? Because we have all of the, the coiled contractions and then our heart opens into our own story and into our own life. You know, it's, it's that sense that Aristotle was talking about when he talked about catharsis. Right. And so it's, it, it is the sense of, yeah, it's the sense of, of, and maybe to share one more thing. It's, it's when we think about God, when I think about God, when I feel God, I don't think about God as the infinity of power. I think about God or feel God as the infinity of intimacy. Mm 
And, you know, in the texts, for example, of Hebrew mysticism, on the inside of the inside, God is crying, mm -hmm. right? Which is like, wow. And so you could say, well, how do you believe in a God who cries? Well, how do you believe in a God who doesn't cry? <laughs> right, right. And so, so there's a, and whenever we cry, right, right, we, we cry for all the times we didn't cry before. Right. Right. And so, yes. so yeah, beautiful. Yeah. And Mark, do you think, because, you know, you come from a very strong tradition, which you were brought up into a, you know, a much intenser degree than me as sort of Church of England, sort of Sunday morning only type, you know. Um, but you've also, you know, you've exposed yourself to a lot of other spiritual paths, methodologies, yogas, um, philosophies, including Eastern ones. Do you feel that you, I don't, I don't mean so much from a sort of Dharma theoretical point of view, because I'm sure that's, that that's changed some of your worldview, but in terms of relationship to God or the actual felt spiritual sense, do you feel that has other things have also affected you that the texture that you now feel is, is, is slightly different than say someone who's remained a traditional rabbi? Right. That's, that's a great question. No, it, it's, it's of course changed. It changes dramatically, right? And there's, there's the grounding experience of our youth, you know, which is a great gift. And I, just to say, just as a prelude to your, your beautiful inquiry, you know, I think that every parent, whether you're secular or religious, whether you're atheist or practice, it doesn't even matter. I think every parent owes their child to raise them in a great tradition. Mm. There's something you get. You know, I have two friends who moved to, um, you know, to, uh, to um, Chicago who are, you know, kind of very, 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 very kind of left liberal materialist, you know, and, you know, I was very happy, you know, in exchange with them to help persuade them to put their kids in a, you know, Baptist fundamentalist preschool, right? You know, and why? Because they're going to get something from that. They could, you know, they decide to grow out of it, that, but they're going to get something that you, you don't get anyplace else. You get a kind of unmediated, you know, when I, whenever I'm traveling and and I, I want to just have a time to, to be in deep practice, I'll go to a black gospel church if I can on Sunday morning. I'll find a black gospel church. I've done it for many, many years. And they're not, they're not asking questions about this or that. They're just like, you know, sweet, sweet baby Jesus, right? You know, and it's gorgeous and they sing and they're alive and they're, they're talking directly right to the divine. And it's, you know, and it's not that this, they're not, they're not figuring it out. They're there and there's something that we lose. Now, now you can't stay there because you know, there's all, all the dangers of fundamentalism are real, right? You know, if you, you look at Osama bin Laden, he, he stayed and, 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 and went the wrong way with it, right? He, he would be a great teacher at a new age seminar, you know? So, so, but, but I, I, I so value that early experience and the texture and the fabric of it, you know, that has shaped, shapes me in every second. 
at the same time, it's completely changed, right? Science has completely changed my experience with the divine. I mean, just completely, right? You know, you know, you know, feeling into, and you know, I talk about a lot, muons and hadrons and leptons and, you know, su such things. And, you know, feeling into that allurement, you know, you know, that animates the four fields, right? You know, the electromagnetic, the strong and weak nuclear and the, you know, the, the gravitational, but actually feeling into it and then studying it scientifically, mathematically, literally changes your experience of the universe. I mean, completely, right? So, so science has actually been an incredibly important, great tradition to me in terms of changing my felt experience of reality, right? In a, in a direct way. So that's been one. Mm -hmm. And the second is, you know, is, you know, this very deep sense in Buddhism, right? Of kind of the awareness of awareness, mm -hmm. which is unbelievably important, right? Where you can just, you can just step into the field, right? Of true self, you know, and let go of story and just be in the field. And that field is utterly self-validating and you're aware of the fact that you're aware and you can actually experience, you know, I am in this very, very direct way. And in that sense, one of the greatnesses of the, the Eastern practices is that they're an immediate experience, mm. right? There's no, there's no, there's no Dharma. There's no, it's just like, I am. Yeah. Well, and, it, there's only immediate experience in a way. Yeah. Right. Well, the, right. Bigger conversation, but yes, there's a, there's an emphasis. I mean, there's actually a lot of, theology and claim right but 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 it, at the way the west has received it the immediate right. experience core has been, we've made central because we're we're experience junkies right but 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 you know as we should be so so the the, the direct you know experience of kind of an immediate sense right of your own location in the larger field as an expression of right true self right is is a, a gorgeous contribution which of course exists in the judeo judeo-christian traditions as well but it's not it's not as a refined immediate technology right it's very clear and very which is crazy beautiful and finally kashmir shaivism right you know in other words uh, kashmir shaivism has been very very important to me right in terms of its you know its dazzling sense of the, you know, immediacy, right, of divine presence in, in everything, you know, kind of in, you know, in yearning and in colors, you know, and in altars, you know, and in elephants, you know, in other words, you know, this, this very, 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 you know, living, fresh sense of just divinity breathing in all these forms uniquely, you know, right. which is so, so beautiful. Right. You know, so my good idolatrous friends have helped also. Right. Oh, that's beautiful. I, I really love that, the way that you've both experienced that and, and managed to really understand that, that that has happened.
Um, I wonder, Mark, because I'm curious because you said, you know, your spiritual sense so is so connected in a way to relationship, intimacy. Mm -hmm. You know, that's a word that you right. use so right. much. Mm -hmm. um, oh, I've lost your. No, I'm here. I'm here. Oh, okay. I can't see you. Is your camera on? And no, we're perfect. We're perfect. I'm just, I'm, I'm off camera for one moment. Go ahead. Oh, okay. That's fine. Okay. Well, we, you might need to come back on because I mean, I'm just really curious, supposing, you know, me and you right now, mm -hmm. you know, looking at each other through, through right. you know, I wonder, I wonder how we would both feel some sort of spiritual reality, right, right here and now. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. And that's, that's, you know, and others, and it, and it, and it is right now, right? You know, it completely is, you know, right now and, and right here. And, 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 you know, that sense of actually just seeing each other, right? Of just kind of, you know, just, you know, being my eye into your eye and your eye into mine and just, let's just sit. Yeah, I think I could stay there for a long time. Right? <laughs> I'm, I'm going to cry. Right? Wow. Mm. Right? Like, wow. Mm. Wow. 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 Hmm. Cha. Yeah. I wish I could find some way of conveying that to the people who are listening, but let's hope they, they felt it somehow, even yeah. if they're sitting in the car and yeah. listening. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's everything. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Mm. Cha.
when all the words, right, right, when all the words fade away. I know, I'm trying to claw my way back to the, the world of podcasts and words now. That was really, thank you, Mark, big, big thank you. And that just came to me in that moment, this, the idea, it was just, yeah. oh. Yeah, and, and, and it, it's, it's, it's pure love, mm. right? It's just, there mm. we are. Nothing in between. No, no distance. It's it's pure love, but I felt very strongly. Also, all the, the sort of spaciousness around. It, it wasn't like a little. Right. It wasn't, it wasn't like broken. when you thought, fall in love with somebody. It's it's right. quite Not a narrow channel. Right. Right. No. Right. No. Love was, as the the way I would use the word outrageous love. Not perfect. Right. So that's good because in. The, the community of your listeners, that might not be, or maybe it is familiar to them. I mean, I'm sure you've shared it, but right. I didn't mean romantic love, although I, of course, you know, we, we were, but, but, but <laughs> you know, I mean, I meant right love in that widest. Yes. Yeah. That widest sense of the, the field. Right? right. So it's not just wider as a concept. It's, right. it's wider as an experiential reality. Right. 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 No, I'm, um, I'm, I'm with you totally. And you, you know, I don't know what your experience was, but we, we can, we can drop into it for a second. But I was seeing you. Also, see, it gets very wide and deep, but also it's very intimate and personal. So I could see you, like in all these different kind of incarnations. Your face kept moving and changing, and all these different at the same time faces of James, mm -hmm. right, were, were appearing. And you could get a sense of like incarnations, you get a sense of all these, all these, you know, you know, an old man, a young boy, right, you know, all these different times and shapes and faces, right, that actually kind of became available because, you know, and, and we could say this in a way and, and tell me if this is your experience, I'm sure that it is but that time actually stopped. Mm, definitely. We, weren't in, we weren't in time anymore. No, no, right. no. We weren't in time. And I had something a little similar. It wasn't so much different incarnations, but I, I saw different parts, different parts of you in the phases of your life. Right. I really felt all you, you've been through, actually. Right, right. But there was some real pathos in there for me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, not it. Not in a sort of um, sort of depressing way or something. More in a just a sort of um, I don't know, kind of solidarity. <laughs> hey, being human, it's not easy. <laughs> what a long, strange trip it's been. Exactly, the long and winding road. Right. Well, I want to. I want to try. I I want to flip a moment, Mark. And I I always ask this question to people because it amuses me. But when would you say, in, in normal life, if there's such a thing, when are you at your least spiritual? It's a great question. I I think when I'm most exhausted. Mm. Right. In other words, uh, 
Now, there's a place in extreme exhaustion where you can drop underneath it back into spirit, but there's a place before that happens, yeah. right? And just ordinary exhaustion where, you know, I've slept, you know, just a couple of hours and you're in the combination of, you know, of, of, you know, day, if it goes into kind of days of exhaustion, you know, then because spirit is, is energy, there's energy in spirit and whether, whether it appears through like radical joy or ecstasy or grief, mm. which also has energy, but in exhaustion, right? There's a, you're, you're missing some energy. You're missing some, you know, and I'm not talking about just a little tired. I'm talking about really exhausted. So there's a moment and there's ways I've, I've, I've been opened up to drop underneath that, but before the dropping underneath and just the ordinary hell of exhaustion, right? You know, in other words, that place, I'd say probably that place. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. But does that offer, do you, do you often feel exhausted? No. You know, it's actually one of the reasons why I myself and I ask everyone who I work with or study with to do the same thing is, is one of the most important spiritual practices is to sleep enough. Right. Right. There, there was a big thing when I was growing up in seminary that you, you the, the heroic thing was to kind of not sleep a lot and to study or pray all the time. And I did that, you know, intensely for a, a period of my life. And I realized it was a mistake. That there, there was always there was always a, a piper to pay, and so now I'm really really attentive to sleeping. Right. No, I I can imagine that. No, but there is something sort of sacred about sleep, isn't there? Yeah. Really. You know, I always love it. You know, in the in Homer and things like that, it's never just a simple nap. You know, you, you right. get visited by the god of sleep, or you don't. <laughs> it's it's oh, it's right. a proper experience, and. Um, I mean, yeah, sleep, no. sleep is such a mystery. It's such a wonder sleep, right? Uh, I mean, you get, it's another, it's another door to this entire other reality. Right. Right. Exactly. Oh no, there are times when I, especially if I sleep in the day, when if I wake up and I never sleep for long in the day, it's, I'm a sort of power nap time. And sometimes when I wake up, I still have the taste of an unbearable sweetness. Right. I know I've been in heaven. Right. I and but because it's completely in that it's the, in that branch, it's completely formless. So there's nothing. There's no feature in it. So right. you can't describe anything, and you can't even remember anything because there's right. no form to remember. Right. But the, the the sweetness taste, and I have to admit, when I have, do that, I mean, life when you wake up can, can feel pretty rough at the edges. Right. Because that, that sweetness, and the only other time I've had that, I think I told you once, was at the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem. Right. Where by mistake, by the way, I went to the women's half. <laughs> I, was, I was quickly shooed away. <laughs> I thought, well, what am I doing? And 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 I felt all the pain, you know, in the wailing. Yeah. But at a certain point, and I think I even put my forehead to the wall. I did. But at the end of it, I felt this huge sweetness. Yeah. I can't yeah. think of any other word. Yeah. No. I'm, no. Deep I'm sweetness. Yeah. Deep sweetness, and it's it's different. The 
the sweetness you're describing and the, the Hebrew word that's used in the text is noam, N-O-A-M, but it's it's not sweetness in kind of an English saccharine sense. It's a no, right? It's a very deep, luminous, you know, yeah. kind of kind exactly. of sweetness. Yeah, no, absolutely. And one of the places that you feel it, right? So just actually a few nights ago, you know, I was having a, just a, a kind of a hard couple of days, and at some point I, I kind of fell asleep or kind of half fell asleep. And, you know, the sweetness opened. And one of the ways that I practice, which you know, I don't share a lot, but one of the ways that I practice is in the morning when I wake up, depending on, you know, when or what or where, but, you know, it's a basic practice of, we might call it a hamtaka or a sweetness meditation, where I'll just lay in bed and ask she to let me fall into her sweetness. Mm -hmm. And far more often than not, but not always, but, but far more often than not, you literally, literally feel like this, this light just suffuses your consciousness. It's a, a literal feeling of it just literally gets bright, right? There's a brightness and you just fall in to the sweetness and you, you actually have a direct experience right, of being held. So that's that yeah. sweetness. Right. And, well, I know that feeling. Yeah. 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 And maybe, maybe one last thing, a, a, a place where there's a trace of it. It's not the same. It's not the same, but it's, it's an allusion to it. So you were talking, we were talking about sleeping. Mm. So actually when you, when you feel into it, there's two places in the morning and the evening where there's a place where you just wake up and you're like, ah, oh, right. And it's Sunday morning and you don't really have to get out of bed. And, and you've got this luxurious kind of, you know, semi-awake, semi-asleep feeling. There's a deep sweetness to it. It's a very, very sweet feeling because you're not, you're not overcome by the day. You can actually, and then also when it's, it's, when it's bedtime and if, if you're really tired, right, you're like deeply tired, but in a good way, kind of a good tired, and you just kind of feel, you know, it's going to be easy to fall asleep. And so there's these liminal places, you know, from the, night into the day and from the day into the night, this, you know, falling awake and falling asleep. And in that those liminal places, there's a deep sweetness. Right. I think that word liminal, I mean, it's quite a, for right. our listeners, many of whom are not English speakers, it's a fantastic word, liminal. Right. It means on the threshold. So it's in a, it's kind of an in where you're not outside the door, you're not inside, you're right on the, in the it's sort of transition space. Right. Totally, brother. It's, it's an in-between space, right? An in-between space, right? And you can, you find it, you can find it in a lot of in-between spaces, right? Mm -hmm. You can find there's this quality of sweetness that feels different. So I'll, I'll just give you a completely different example, but you can actually feel a kind of divine feeling there. So let's say you're at an airport and mm -hmm. you're, your next flight got delayed mm -hmm. and you now have, you know, like six hours at the airport. I remember this happened to me in Singapore, you know, a bunch of years back and I was on my way to um, Sydney. Mm -hmm. Right. And 
all of a sudden we're stuck in Singapore and we didn't know anyone in Singapore. And it's this in-between space. And there was this openness, this, this expanse, right, of just being in the space. And it was very sweet. So in-between spaces have a have a special sweetness. Absolutely. No, that's it's really that that rings absolutely true to me. Yeah. I think what it's quite interesting because funny enough, I've asked this question to to everybody that I've had a dialogue with so far about when do you feel least, but I haven't actually answered it myself. I think I feel least spiritual when I drop into some kind of addictive behavior. When, when I feel stuck in doing something or consuming something or that I really don't sort of want to, or a part of me doesn't want to, but it's bigger than me. And right. And my, my, I feel incredibly contracted in those moments. I mean, apart from the sort of shame, the, just the shame of having any sort of addiction, mini addiction at all, right. it, the actual felt experience is very godless in you know, that, that, that moment. Like, like, like you mean like when you're like, like reading James Joyce again, you're like addicted to reading James Joyce. I get it. No, I get that. <laughs> yeah, just like that. <laughs> there we are, James Joyce all over again. I can't believe I'm reading that again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, I wish I was just, oh my God, <laughs> reading James Joyce again and again, especially. <laughs> that would be my idea of hell, I think. Exactly, exactly. That's where, but, but no, I think that's right. In other words, you're, you're, yeah, yeah, it's the, and that place of, addiction, which as, as you know, we, we call it pseudo eros, right? Right. But it's, 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 it's attractive, but, but your heart can't open. Yeah. Yeah. Heart can't open. Yeah. That's nice. It's attractive, but your heart can't open. Yeah. Right. I'll, I'll, I'll play with that one. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Well, I mean, Mark, I can't believe it. We've had 55 minutes already. Oh my God, right? It's a couple more minutes. Wow. 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 I feel like we just said hello. I know. I'm I'm really satisfied. This is just what I was hoping for. Yay. And I, I feel it in myself right now. I feel the depth of our connection and, and some of the, the things that we've covered over yeah. this hour. It was, it was just, I just want you to know it was what I was hoping for. Yeah. Thank you. It's a wonderful conversation. Yeah. Yeah. And you, you really behaved very well. Well, I appreciate that. (laughs) (laughs) I I sure do appreciate that. Now I just want to say a little bit because, you know, there's also some important things you and I have in common in the world and, and what we wanted to bring into the world. And just for my listeners, uh, some of whom will know about it, many of whom won't. I just want us to take just a couple of minutes to to mention, especially next summer, and the Outrageous Love Festival, because it's something that's very dear to both of our hearts. And for me, the festival is, you know, we're talking about spirituality, spirituality for today. I think there are so many spiritual threads that come together 
in that week from different traditions, different methodologies, and especially through the community. Yeah. Field itself. You know, magic happens. Yeah. There. Yeah, no, the, the Outrageous Love Festival is is a magic place. And it's almost, as as you and I both know, it's almost indescribable from the outside, but it it, it combines, you know, just a sense of just a, a kind of penetrating insight and yet a complete resting and expanse. And, you know, you know, our friend Harry said once, um, Harry DeBont, who's a, a wonderful psychologist and actually, you know, ran for many years, I think the, like the largest therapy practice in the Netherlands that he's been to many festivals. And he, he said at one point, he said, basically, we're, we're creating, you know, at the festival, you know, a vision of what actual, what would an enlightened society feel like? And so it's it's both ecstatic and beautiful and and just in, incredibly wondrous. So so yes, it's a and, and that technology, by the way, maybe just to say one more word about it is we, we call it a mystery school, as you know so well. And you you're such a a, a key and gorgeous, you know, fabric part of it, you know, together. But a mystery school is actually the technology throughout the last several thousand years that has been the way people actually genuinely opened and transformed and also the way culture and politics evolved and transformed. And so what's also unique about the mystery school is it's not only a personal experience, it's also a, a very large cultural, you know, evolutionary experience at the same time. And so we're, we're coming together both very personally, but also to, to actually evolve the source code of consciousness and culture. And so that, so that expression of a mystery school is very different than a, a meditation seminar, as important as those are, or a transformational event. It's completely different yeah. quality. Does that make sense? It totally. No. Right. So first, first week of all, well, I think it's the first week of August. <laughs> right, right now it's 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 either the august 6 is the the date right now and oh. i think they're they're actually working with uh, one of the people we won't say her name because we don't have permission but to to, to clear the the place uh look okay. in, in belgium oh great in belgium yeah okay last, all right last couple of days right we were talking yeah. to, to yeah. what we mention her name to saskia right of course right. dear saskia Oh, great. Well, it's one of my favorite places. Yeah, you brought me there. That's my second home. Your second, I know it is. You know, you, you brought me there for for an event. We were there at a, for a, I think it was a CEO council event or something like that. Yeah. One of those, one of those, one such thing. Yay. Good. Anyway, it's going to happen. Let's hope, you know, COVID permitting and everything. Yeah. We have, we have big, big plans. Yes. Yeah, we totally have big plans. Big. Yeah. Well, Mark, I know you're an incredibly busy person and I'm just super grateful that you gave this time to me, to us, and to all the people who listen to this. Grateful for you, brother. Grateful for you and, and madly delighted. Thank you. Great. Thank you, thank you, thank you.